welcome one and all to Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Pull up a stool, grab some port, crack a beer, whatever you need to do. We're ready to talk of things, wax intellectual, and uh, see where the night takes us. I'm your host, Drew. With me, as always, is Orlando, and we have a guest patron with us today. Eric, say hello to the wonderful people. Hello, everybody. This is Eric Bailey. I was able to find my favorite old bar stool right where they left it, and I so appreciate that. We may not uh, put names on everything, but for our most for our uh, friendliest patrons, we do make exceptions. So tonight's conversation will be pretty a little bit more ephemeral than we usually do. We've been kind of sticking with mostly pointed topics about reality as a whole, dealing with personal freedoms and the, and the like. But as a non-secular individual myself, I wanted to discuss a little bit about faith and spirituality in the modern world. And I feel as though having, a, having an extra person in on this, Eric specifically, because for as long as I've known him, he's been a very spiritual individual in the realm in which I've known him in. And Orlando is also borderline spiritual. I don't know how far that goes exactly. But me being the odd agnostic out amongst the other two, it gives us a nice tri-point of different perspectives on that, on that specific thought process. I guess gut feeling would be the better word, because I don't really know how much, how much deep thought would actually do in that, at least as far as that particular thing. Faith always felt to me like a thing that was a leap, you know, leap of faith and all. I didn't know how much contemplation that particular topic actually directed a human being. So that's also the reason why I have you all here in that conversation. I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to where the night takes us. So, I mean, we'll start with the basics on this one and we'll go with a kind of just going around the table and ask the basic question, what faith, the, the idea of faith means to you. And you're our, you are, you are our guest host. So I will start with you, Eric. What does faith mean to you? Ooh, putting me on the spot with a huge question. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So what does faith mean to me? Well, I personally, I guess I'm not going to go too deep or intangible with it. I equate faith to belief. It's kind of like, what do you place your trust in beyond yourself? What is the lens through which you form your worldview? What is that thing that you cling to somewhere in the deeper part of yourself, not just your intellectual thought, not just your heart and your feelings as they sway to and fro, but what is that thing that you really grasp and i'm gonna leave it at that yeah that's what faith itself would mean how about you orlando i would partake that faith is the foundation upon which you can it's the source of strength from which you can move forward with uneasy circumstances that would otherwise consume a person 
Interesting. I think faith to me, coming as an coming as I am in, in my perspective, faith tends to be a a certainty in an otherwise uncertain reality. Hmm. Something that is beyond yourself, whether it is a, a, a deity or a concept, or maybe just the cosmos as a whole. It creates this stable pole of certainty for you with which you can propel yourself forward in life without any particular entanglements towards uh, uh, towards any kind of negativity that may occur just as we do go through in our days. That's my perspective on it specifically. I think when you really lay that kind of stuff down, the multifaceted nature of our society when it comes to faith is actually rather dynamic. And it really does have a intriguing eclecticism, or I guess that'd be the word that contributes to the overall, the overall rainbow attitude of society as a whole. It creates different perspectives and creates a, large collage of them in that in that instance mm-hmm. now now eric i don't know specifically what your religious belief is if you wish to delve further into that you can but how does your faith specifically help you in your daily life sure so i will start if you'll indulge me in a minute or two just to kind of lay it out where i'm coming from um I attend a Presbyterian church. I myself like to think that my own faith is fairly individual and personal, but to be as specific as possible, I do believe that there was a man named Jesus who did walk the earth at some point. And I do believe in the accounts that follow from the historians that his followers believed he rose from the dead and their passion from this event led them to leave their families, their belongings, and live lives of complete and utter devotion to this otherwise insane idea, even under the punishment from governments, from society, etc. So I believe God created the universe. I believe Jesus represents the only hope I have for eternity. And this reflects in my daily life through ways as entirely practical as how I spend my time. I try and read my Bible every day. I spend time in prayer. And through the lens of the gospel, which you could spend a whole podcast just on the idea, but I would say that's kind of the core belief of biblical Christianity. It's kind of the lens of my worldview that determines how I make my decisions, where my conversations lead, my priorities, my emotional state and the steadiness thereof. And sometimes that is in ways that are far reaching long-term take years to lay down. Sometimes it's little things like what I choose to say to my three-year-old son to comfort him in a certain moment. So certainly it's a multifaceted thing. It has its fingers and everything in terms of if you truly believe then it must be important 
And if it's truly important, why wouldn't it have so much to do with everything you do in your life? An interesting perspective you have there. There are some that believe that faith is in itself a tangible uh, catalyst, a way what we mold and shape our perspective reality, how our outlook is molded within that paradigm as well. So I can see that you have a, a firm grasp of what, what direction that you have taken your faith and beliefs forward. How about you, Orlando? I never really delved into this with you because it always felt like a weird conversation. But I mean, we're at the bar anyways, so take your sacramental wine and have a conversation about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, I can. You can honestly say that I'm more of a withered Christian, if we really want to be honest with it, because at this current moment, I don't really follow an organized religion. Um. I'm more of a person who takes his previous religious teachings and just be more personal about it rather than anything. But if I really want to be honest with myself, I haven't been as pra- I haven't been practicing nearly as much as I once used to. And for the most part, most of my faith comes from my personal experiences where tragedy has always been at the forefront and I would somehow escape from that tragedy whether or less whether or not I come out unscathed I usually just leave that to the to the graceness of my divine creator for what he's given me more than anything is at least an opportunity to see things in a perspective that I would not have otherwise consider. I think the I think the overall theme, at least by the by the two accounts that I have in front of me, are the personalization of worship and by that extent spirituality and belief. Taking what is taking what is presented in text, scripture, uh, audio, audio, whatever you end up taking from you know your religious leader of choice. These things are things that you have digested and personally crafted to your way of life. And the way that you personally worship is within, within your own personal bubble in in that perspective. Those things exist as a universal, but you have taken them and to one more or less have fashioned them in a way that is helpful to you to in one perspective or another. Myself personally, um, I was ra- I, I was raised Catholic, and went through all of those lovely sacraments, did all that wonderful nonsense that came with it, and I believe sophomore year is when I personally walked away from organized religion as a whole, and became more of an agnostic or skeptic, as many people negatively affect to that to that uh, particular belief structure i don't care about labels in that regard i'm just trying at this point to create a uh, a, a particular pathway for our conversation at least by my perspective i've my uncertainty has been the thing that has driven me to stay within a particular moral compass 
It's not that I believe or don't believe in that regard in a higher power. It's that I am on because of my mortal countenance, I am incapable of coming to a solid conclusion as to whom or what that may be and do not feel contented to make a particular prediction or state of worship based on those beliefs. It leaves me in a, it leaves me in a weird um, Swiss army knife scenario of belief structures because it makes things a little bit easier to digest from different perspectives, but, uh, but also in the same, it creates a serious, a significant nebulousness within my experience as far as religion is concerned and it's many iterations. It's, I, I like to joke when I was younger, it's like, I don't believe, I don't specifically believe in a higher power for all I know. It's a guy named Bob who's just pulling a lever and things happen. <laughs> Seems pretty basic and rudimentary by prospect, by prospect, but I mean, it's the best thing I can think of. And honestly, you know, I'm not, I'm not much for Pascal's wager when it comes to belief structures anyways. Right. For what it's worth, I really like your description of faith as wonderful nonsense. I, I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that to believe in Christianity just as its own example does require a bit of coming to grips with the insanity of it, or at least the seeming unreasonability of it. Just to use one example from the Bible itself. You have a story of Abraham, whom God promises, hey, through your offspring, I will have a great nation, and your children's children and all of your descendants will outnumber, you know, the thousands and thousands. And Abraham says, okay, I trust that's true. And then he's on this trip with his one son, Isaac, and God says, hey, Abraham, I need you to kill your son. So Abraham, in his mind, has to hold these two truths up against each other. One, that God has promised him through Isaac he will have a great nation. But two, he has to obey God and kill Isaac. And I think faith is a lot like that. You are, you have to, at some point within yourself, reconcile the idea that it will never be fully reconcilable as far as being able to explain it, verbalize it, justify it to anyone. It is a very human experience kind of thing. And maybe even beyond. To be fair, I believe that if we look at it through a modern lens, yeah, it looks incredibly insane. If you look at anything, any story in the Holy Scriptures, you through a modern lens, it's difficult to see the rationale behind any of it. So it becomes, especially with our advancements in, in the academics, it becomes painfully difficult to simply take what is the Holy Scriptures and just accept them as fact when from what the knowledge we've acquired over the centuries, it just outright contradicts and debunks everything that 
the scriptures provide. However, faith doesn't play into into the reasonable. It doesn't play in that at all. In fact, it it's more towards it, it, it comes with something that's um, means a little more than reason. It defies logic. It defies what we consider rational reasoning. It's not about the rationale. It's about something else. Exactly. I agree. I think if you look at the duality of human nature as a whole, and this is purely by purely the mental and emotional capacity, religion to an extent fulfills a, fulfills a subconscious need as well as a conscious thirst for certainty in a situation such as living overall that is 100% uncertain. Hmm. If you, if you leave, leave luck to God, as it were, you tend to be a little bit more confident within that paradigm to make decisions for yourself because it's easier to, it's easier to be able to follow a path with a level of unconscious or partially conscious certainty that you that those those things will come to fruition at least to one one perspective or another even if you don't specifically know how that will actually even out yeah it's kind of that idea right of humans reckoning with their mortality to think about you know am i just really going to cease to exist and does religion exist purely as a sort of coping mechanism against that? And can a Christian admit, well, do, the, do you find comfort in your faith for the hereafter? Is that even part of why you believe? And you can lead people down avenues of conversation that are very vulnerable and maybe even uncomfortable for them. But that has to be a part of it as well. I think in a modern contemporary setting, discomfort tends to be one of those things that has kind of been tossed to the wayside because the abundance of creature comforts have given us a nigh limitless avenue, especially in first and second world nations, to never really have to come to grips with our mortality in direct uh, conflict. But moreover, the, the value in religion allows for a specific level of introspection that I think that your modern your modern or postmodernist individual tends to circumvent from time to time more so than they'd like to admit. Whereas a person with those particular proclivities, especially with a very solid religious foundation, they know that they can sit down and commune with them with with their perspective celestial being and have a conversation with them or moreover be able to talk with themselves knowing that they're under the comfort and aegis of that deity so there is a certain level of value in that at least to a measure by my perspective yeah that's interesting I, pers- I, I like I've always said I'd rather everybody believe whatever they want to believe, because if if the, and especially in the personal context that you and Orlando had sp- spoken of, because those are things that you have taken unto yourself. Mm-hmm. 
while you do preach while you do preach joy uh, within the parameter of your deity eric you've never been at least by my measure particularly pushy about it you've merely just presented the information that you believe people would find useful in finding a path for themselves if it leads down to the road that you have or even if it's parallel it's something that you're okay with but moreover you you have taken a more uh passive approach to it because honestly if someone comes to any you can no more control the conclusion someone comes to than you can the weather so having just presenting your case as it were definitely has a merit within the context of greater a greater community strengthening as as it were yeah and that's even an endless rabbit hole of conversation and debate within the christian church i can sit down with members of my own church and get into discussion as to whether what extent we are called to share our faith because as a Christian, I have a moral imperative. Like I believe, yeah, I, I actually should be telling people about Jesus. That should be something that happens explicitly. But do I want to be the guy on a street corner with a megaphone yelling at everyone, telling them they're a sinner? No, a pragmatist can recognize that's not going to be a fruitful endeavor, right? So you go ahead. To be to be fair, that kind of description just fits the typical overly zealot that many people try to characterize and point at when, uh, when in discussion in disfavor of religion. Because unfortunately, you know, if we look up throughout history, that's what we tend to find. It's the corruption of these faiths by the by the wicked and the zealot who would, well, push their, push their faiths upon the rest of the world, be it was be it what you may. So I think that lingering, I think that still lingers to this day. So it makes it more difficult for those such as yourself to go out and be more civil when it comes to preaching the word of Christ. Because that legacy still holds. It still holds very strongly to the embittered hearts of the ones who disavow religion on all fronts. It is a context thick with eggshells in the minefield. But I have to wonder, if we were to be entirely fair, would we have to admit that there are even other hobbies and passions that there are overzealous people to? You hear jokes. You hear jokes about vegetarians and CrossFit people that are so eager to tell you about their hobby that it turns you away. (laughs) But I I think it's fair that Christians have a bad rap because there have been enough bad actors over time to leave quite a legacy like you said i would contest that and i this is a perspective from a former catholic i feel like the more passive religions at least that i've noticed presbyterian christian lutheran 
Methodist, the ones that tend to be on the outer periphery of things, have a harder time making inroads because of the central core of Roman Catholicism and its overall Spartan way of doing things. Very sterile, very ter- you know, uh, uh, terse way of doing things has created for you is essentially an albatross around your neck because your way is much more gentle than the prospects of old Catholicism as a whole. Theirs was more of a way of harsh Hmm. conversion, whereas your perspective tends to be a lot more of, of the lamb as it were in trying to bring people with into the fold. I would say that it isn't yours, your faults, at least congregationally in that it's the core Catholic aspect that has created this moniker of the, you know, Jesus fanatic zealotry that people tend to think of, especially more postmodern people who look at religion as kind of an anchor around society's neck when in all honesty, it can exist in co-harmony with the other aspects just as easily because a lot of the dissident Catholic viewpoints don't really have anywhere near the ground that they were standing on, say, 10, 15, 20, 30 sure. years ago. It was funny. You mentioned earlier the term organized religion, and I almost mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of organized religion. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian, but I, I look at my own faith, and it doesn't resemble an organized religion. It might resemble a relationship, but I, it's hard for me to really get passionate about organized religion i don't know but i have to wonder too i think if we if we pull back to the larger subject at hand of faith i do wonder what you guys think Uh, obviously some people embrace faith and some people kind of buck against it do you think there are reasons that people reject or kind of rebel against faith besides the overzealous folks out there Faith is rejected, in my opinion, because there is nothing else to them besides the mm-hmm. besides the void, the unknown. Where there's there's an old quote by Nietzsche, the German philosopher, that has I, I can't remember the entire quote, but it includes the phrase "God is dead," and the whole thing is about the idea that. The debt that the the way the fading of the moral compass of faith and religion will eventually leave its mark uh, on the world, and it will, and it's left to question what will people do afterwards. And I think we're starting to see the effects of that, where people in in particular my generation, where they are very very depressed they are very they're very they're very socially conscious they're very they're very paranoid and then they're they have low self-esteem and i think one of the aspects is simply for the fact that without that lack of void without that lack of faith with that with that without that faith they're forced to confront their own mortality as we mentioned earlier and I think it frightens them to the core where they'll just reject it. And, and it ultimately makes them feel empty where nothing from 
where not even the material pleasures of the world brings them any sort of gratification or satisfaction. It's an interesting thought. I, I think on my end, I think there usually ends up being another reason for people to turn away from faith. It could be upbringing. It could be something as specific as a personal experience that turned them away from that. All it takes is one bad situation for any human being to change their direction on their path of enlightenment. And I think that it's usually something traumatic and anything traumatic enough will do that. I won't get into specifics because obviously with the history of specific religions and the, the, the controversies that have occurred in the past, they're not, we're no strangers to those things. And I think that that also, it might be one of the things that probably hampers, hinders and hampers you specifically when you are trying to create a open dialogue about that sort of thing, because it always is a negative point that literally looms above you as you're attempting to create inroads. So like I said, I don't envy your perspective, your position with when it comes to that kind of stuff, but I do commend you for that. And to answer your question and bring it back around, it's a number of reasons. The stuff Orlando was talking about. Absolutely. Postmodern society has created a, a, a people who have, are walking around with giant holes in their chest spiritually because they have basically done the tried to do the impossible and it's something that uh, no human being really ever comes to that correct conclusion having faith in yourself and divorcing yourself completely from the concept of, of theism in any meaningful capacity relying on yourself as that pole as that uh, the pole in the in the glacier so to speak is an extremely challenging experience for any human being, especially somebody who hasn't spent a great deal of time finding themselves to be able to make that kind of leap. It's the reason why we do have people who walk around with complete and utter disdain for religion. And it almost feels like that half of it's betrayal, at least by their perspective. And the other half is just belief that, that, the people who follow those paths are running fool's errands, trying to rationalize their existence based on a, a higher power of any sort. Whether they are correct in that belief or not, I can't say. Like I said, I I am the I am the religious fence sitter in, in in this conversation, but it gives me an interesting perspective because it allows me to observe within the con within a neutral context of such things. Yeah, I think humanism just this general idea that human beings are the most important thing and they are the source of hope and they are the source of knowledge it's it's very alluring it's very tempting and i think a lot of people fall into that pretty naturally i find myself if i'm rejecting something i guess that would be it but it is funny to think about like you talk about what's looming overhead in these conversations. I do find myself using phrases like, Hey, let's remember plenty of people have left the faith because of Christians, but nobody has left because of Christ. Like, can we, can we stick to the matter at hand? Can we actually talk about like, <laughs> no, that's a fair, that's a fair, wonderful point. It's not the message they leave. 
it's the actions of the followers. And I think that's a, that is a great distinction that many people seem to overlook. But I think it is hard to ask people to leave that baggage behind. It's almost unfair to be like, Hey, that horrible, bad personal experience you had that took you off that road. I kind of need you to set that aside. Even as I acknowledge that's maybe a core part of who you are now. So that's the fine balance to be reconciled that I know I still struggle with. I think what you end up having to deal with is you as a person who's trying to be aware of that individual's strife. There is a point when you, when you are tasked with peeling away that callus that they have developed because of that situation. And it's not even remotely close to easy, nor honestly should it be because personal trauma, personal trauma is what it is. It's very, casting it aside is very difficult without the support structure necessary to do it. And I think that if you, if you are coming from that, especially with you, you're coming from a genuine place of concern and caring. If, if it's if you are genuinely coming from those places, there should be at least a cursory meeting in the middle, so to speak. But I guess it just depends on the caliber of trauma they suffer. I guess that all comes down to the individual. I know that I personally have endured quite a bit in my life. And from what I, what I struggled with, I know that at the end of the day, it was the light of the Lord that kept me going through the worst of it all. And I think that some of the situations I had, I don't think I'd be here today had it not been for the Holy Father. I can echo similarly. So at the very least, I know that through my personal experience, I, I may not be entirely religious, but just enough to know that hmm. I can feel his influence. Or at least I'd like to believe I can to know that he guides me and shows me lessons that I may not have been able to learn on my own (laughs) because I'm quite the hard-headed person. Yeah, I can relate to that as well. You both are very relatable. (laughs) Well, I'm not trying to be, but I do appreciate the compliments all the same. Uh, as as somebody who is very much a meet in the middle kind of person, and, and the company I keep is usually similarly so, it's very difficult for me not to, at the very least, open cursory dialogue with any person, as long as they are willing to do so in a civil manner. I see no reason not to, at the very least, give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, that perspective has been considered anathema of late but I refuse to change my course because it's the core of who I am as a person. And I don't see any reason to change it because of a group of, uh, because of a, a vocal minority who views the concept, views the concept as counter to their particular beliefs. I don't want to say tribalistic beliefs because that feels a bit more uh, denouncing more of a specific perspective. And 
a trope. We'll go with trope because that feels semi-scientific enough where we can keep going along that. Why not? And I don't, and the company I keep tends to be varied in that viewpoint because I myself in my personal path want a varied group of people to be around me because I don't it subconsciously or the way that I function in this world is very much a perspective of binding people together in some kind of friendship or at the very least conversation. And maybe that has to do with my upbringing and, and the tension that that came, that, that came from that. I couldn't tell you, I, but in, in regards to these kind of things, it's very difficult for me to at the very least not sit down and have a conversation with somebody no matter what their religious background is. I have friends from school who I'm friends with on Facebook still who have taken the antithetical, the antithetical route to yourself, Mr. Bailey. They have become Satanists. Cool. But I don't view I don't view them or distort, don't view them or disdain them in any particular way because of that particular belief. They obviously found their way to that because of mm-hmm. because of life path. It is. Same thing with the Muslim friends that I have and all that Buddhist friends that I have. I don't, I don't discriminate. I see no reason to. Life's too fleeting to waste energy on those sort of things. And I, that's also the reason why I have no problem going back and forth with yourself. Because I don't have a problem with who you are and what makes up the things that you, that you, that you are, are your core components. Sure. Christianity has a fun balance about it in that respect. And I, I personally greatly enjoy this dichotomy of when you live out your faith, you're supposed to be kind, you're supposed to be loving, but you're also following this belief system where you have what you believe to be right and wrong. And I, um, so just to give an example, on Twitter, which is the platform I use the most, I had a question once. Someone asked me, they're like, well, how, how can you be this vocal Christian, but I can see you talking to people who are very different than you? There are people who have this extremely, maybe it's a skeptical viewpoint. There are people who are very involved in social movements. There are transsexuals, homosexuals. How do you, how do you get along with people who are different from you? And I do take that view of, well, if I am to live as Jesus did, then everyone's invited to my table and I'm supposed to love them. But then there does come that one awkward question eventually. It's, and it's like, well, but, and it's a big but, I, I do think there is only one way. So can I love you while I live? Can I lock arms with you and be human with you and give you my extra things and share resources and be vulnerable, cry together, rejoice when you rejoice, be sad when you're sad. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think my way is right. (laughs) And that's fine because when it comes down to it, you will come to that conclusion in your own specific, in your own specific way, just as they will come to that conclusion as well. Mortality, mortality is the ultimate arbiter of our, of the final question that we all have in our head. So when when it comes down to it, how how the how the how your life manifests usually manifests in your demise. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So you'll find out one way or another. And that's also why Pascal's wager is such a compelling argument for such things. <laughs> but it is appreciated that because of your own personal beliefs, you never have to worry about that kind of thing because within, within your personal belief is the community that you create. You aren't worried so much about the organization as it stands. You're worried about the core tenants that they, that exist that came from those things, no matter how fallible they may have been by the hands penned by them. The overall criteria to you still hold the water then that they hold for you now. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the type to follow a pastor or a book or a trend. I just try and live my life by, the best moral guidance I have in the word that's provided. I don't know. And that's fair. I think there, I, I think there's been an, in my opinion, a, an exaggeration of contempt towards men of faith, such as yourself for the level of hypocrisy that many have poorly shown, but they don't acknowledge the ones who are, you know, they aren't as zealous or as, but still offer a great deal of passion, such as yourself, just hearing from you. I can clearly, I can clearly get that you're a man of passion and I can respect that, especially when it comes towards your faith. Yeah. I figure I don't have much in this life, but I have that. I think it's good. So I'm going to hang on to it pretty hard. <laughs> both, both hands, hands and a leg sir, wrapped around it hands. if I can. <laughs> Go for the body pillow action. I love it. But yeah. I think that modesty can be respected. I can respect that. I, I commend you as well in that regard. Do you find that the the conversations you have, the, as a question to you, because you do talk about your, your Twitter goings-on, what is the most compelling conversations you tend to have with? People of your faith, people of other faiths, or people of no faith? That is a very interesting question. Um, so I'm going to give two examples, and it's going to seem like a cop-out because I'm not really picking an answer, but I'll just give like... If I look back over the past decade, I think of two conversations that stand out. I'll go ahead and lay them out here. Uh, Because one was from a believer and one was from a non-believer. So the conversation with a non-believer that stuck out was one day I just said, Hey, hi, everyone. Like, I'm a Christian. Do you have any questions? You can always ask me. And I had a skeptical person send me a private message and they said, Yeah, actually, I do. And... To be fair to them, they were very upfront, very finely kind of walking that tightrope of being between assertive and confrontational. I think their view was more to challenge me than to really have a conversation, but that was fine. I, I put the gauntlet out there, so to speak. And we had an exchange that lasted for weeks, just going back and forth about different things. And that was a lot of fun. There's actually one question he asked that I wish I had answered differently. That's, it's a blog post I'm going to hopefully write later this year. I want to elaborate on that. It has to do with the Christian view of hell. 
and the necessity of that and things. Uh, but the other thing, if I am really honest with you, I think one of the more compelling exchanges I had was from a believer, and this was a few years ago, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't think we need to bloom into a larger political conversation, but to make a long story short, someone who I at the time would have considered a friend, there was a day when publicly I just kind of denounced white supremacy, just very generically, very generally, I said something against it. And he, a believer, sent me a private message out of concern that I was growing too liberal because I thought white supremacy was a bad thing. And that exchange left such a bitter taste in my mouth that I don't talk to him anymore. Yeah, I, I, I can't say I blame like again, you. I was about I'm, I'm making laugh. a long story short. There's history. I knew this guy for years. I would have considered him a friend. He is a believer, but I, yeah, that you're, you're talking to me. What's the most compelling? Com That's one that just stabbed me right in the chest. Like I, I don't often have these little, you know, I, I have DMs every day. You're talking about social media. It's, it's cheap. You know, talk is cheap. That's the classic saying. But that was a conversation that really left a mark. Interesting. That that actually is very, very interesting, especially within in a lot of the conversations that we've had in the past, that, that, that kind of thing actually is an interesting back and forth. Now, I think it goes back to, at least by what I've observed, it goes back to the, con the conversation that I've had that, that, that you, the human nature is a duality and one can distinct, one can and should, in most cases, distinguish between belief and rationale. And I have to imagine that your statement was n not in and of itself something of belief. It was a common sense statement that people should just make on right you know, on reflex, at least by my, my metric. And I don't know how that would ever really bleed. I mean, you could make obvious parallels if you felt the need to, but in, and by a humanist standpoint, completely divorced from religion, that should just go without saying, without you having to attach a marker or, of some kind that, it, that, right. that has and any header towards your I mean, religion at all. Again, I don't want to get into too much of a bigger conversation because this is a topic that it's been years going on between lots of people, but I think many Christians today, they may say that they worship God, but they're actually worshiping something else. They, they feel this deep compulsion, this need to publicly be seen of a certain political affiliation. And it is so important to them that what they'll do is they'll be so proud of being let's say conservative rather than being Christian, that if they hear a liberal make a viewpoint, even if it's something as simple as, hey, the life of a black person has value. Well, then in their mind, they're like, well, gosh, you know, I'm on the other side. I have to say something against that. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> like, what, what is your actual highest priority in life? Why is it so important to you to be combative about this? It's really strange to me as someone who, rather than be political first, I try and be Christian first. I'm, I'm left, I'm left scratching my head a lot at how other Christians conduct themselves. 
I think that's more on the cultivation of this highly politically charged atmosphere that we now live in modern society, because I don't believe this was at least as prevalent 30, 40 years ago where, where politics and religion were a bit more, I would say mellow for lack of terms. Um, Because Clearly nowadays, and this comes from both sides of the political spectrum, regardless of what faith you may hold, they seem to antagonize each other to the point where we are no longer looking for for common ground. We are now looking for ways to essentially clash. I think it's funny. I uh, and it's become quite a problem. I wrote a paper in sociology class once. This is years ago, about this idea of extremism and has it gotten better or worse? And I think what's happened, in some ways, is actually, you know, you you think it's really super bad, and you almost have to hope like it's never been like this, right? But keep in mind, at least we're not like literally burning humans at the stake because we thought they're witches, you know, that kind of thing. But I think what happens is the way people form their identity and the way they navigate the world as a result of that has kind of shifted. If you go back three, 400 years ago and you ask someone like, who are you? He might say, well, well, I'm, I'm Tom, the blacksmith. But if you ask someone today, like, who are you? They launch into an identity that is formed on their opinions on things as much as any actual hands-on thing that they do in the world, if that makes sense. It leads to a whole different arena of how we argue and what weight we give to things. It, it, it's definitely created a combative scenario where you're, where the, where, where the battlefield, as it were, of conversation will always come to blows no matter what because one or both of the individuals in this con in the conversational circle has decided from the forefront that they are going to push till things become heated it's a it's a terrible side effect of several different problems and it's something i've talked about i actually talked about in our last podcast that we recall um the 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 conversation, the town square, as it were, has become digitized. And because of that, all of the, all of the uh, social contracts that we have in real life, that we have in our normal conversations, things that we wouldn't say to each other face to face because we just know better reflexively fall to the wayside because of the digital landscape, because nuance does not have an effective foothold in a place where someone sure. cannot see your facial expressions or your body language. And it creates this void where you should be able to create mutual understanding. And it forces you to take this weird over articulated ham fisted methodology to get to a conclusion with somebody and literally it's as my old manager said, it's you have to be able to 
slam your head against the same wall every day to get the results that you want. And with regards to the internet, that's exactly the way it is. I've had conversations with people. I particularly, my, my perspective on things is, uh, uh, for instance, because you were talking about conversations that were much more in-depth or more impactful, I had a conversation with an individual who was pro-life. I myself am pro-choice, not to the extent that most would think I would be, but I managed to come to a mutual understanding with that person where we both walked away, where both of our belief structures were intact, but where was understanding developed. And I did this through PMs on Twitter, something that I didn't think I would be able to actually accomplish. And I honestly was the first time I'd ever interacted with somebody on Twitter at that point where I walked away (laughs) feeling like I actually did some good on a platform that feels very much Sisyphusian in nature when it comes to trying to come to mutual understanding. So I, I absolutely see where you would, where, where people would have that stressor. Absolutely. Yeah. And to be clear, I think it's a human thing. I don't want to by my earlier comments, make it seem like I blame one side or another. I think, I mean, I think every side quote unquote is guilty of this. Yeah. And Orlando, I want to hear your thoughts more, but the, one oh, quick of course. thing I'll say Absolutely. is I think the internet itself just accelerates things in terms of topics and trends and what people talk about, how they believe and feel. I think it has affected humanity on a scale we're not going to appreciate for generations. Like I don't think I, I don't think we realize how deeply it's changed the fabric of just how we are. Oh, of course. Yeah, I agree. It's the level of convenience that the internet offers, the simplicity of it, of being able to communicate mm-hmm. with one another with little to little to no barriers that uh, essentially enables and even encourages people to speak their mind, which is the most ironic sense of, since, you know, nowadays, you know, people are constantly trying to argue the idea of not being able to speak your mind at least not without consequences so severe that you would dare not bother to do so ever again and i think that's one fear that people have Hmm. developed over the past decade one of the things that i've always stressed about the internet as as a construct was that it creates global awareness in sacrifice of local awareness. We are globally aware, and in and of of that, we are locally blind because you're worrying about greater things outside of your, your immediate community, things that you wouldn't normally have access to because of such a large network of information and perspective and sound clips and video clips, things that you wouldn't have access to 30 years ago without help from, you know, primetime news networks, things that you can just click a button and have access to videos of war, videos of strife, videos of, uh, you know, peaceful protests, specific things to that nature across the world that you wouldn't even have an, any idea of those things occurring in your nine to five job without that particular mm-hmm. 
vehicle of information. And it's created this in, in this stress, I, I, I feel, on the human psyche that along with the, the, the acceleration that you spoke of is going to definitely mold and shape the, 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 uh, the, the practicality and, and temperament of people going forward, as, especially as more generations acclimate to an increasingly digital landscape. Given that being said, okay, trying to track back a little bit back to the topic at hand, with all that being said, how does faith – how do you use faith to cope with, do you use it to cope with that knowledge or do you find comfort with that sort of, with that sort of ruminating information or is it something that just doesn't really help you grasp of the reality of the situation? You know, it, it's of the fun. If you talk to face. the right kind of atheist skeptic, they come back to this idea of empirical evidence, right? Like, how can you believe in God when you can't give me any proof of him? And one thing I like to talk about in those conversations is the fact that as I live my life and navigate the world as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as someone observing both world news and just the things going on in front of my face, my faith is bolstered strongly by the fact that humanity exists in exactly the state the Bible describes it to be. You talk about how do you cope with the increasing speed of information or the seemingly large looming catastrophes and eventual collapse of society and advancing technologies. But honestly, I, I feel like my anchor still holds. I feel like once I come at the base foundational knowledge that humans are sinful, I'll go ahead and use that word, and humans are, are not where I can look for my hope, humans are going to continue to be full of strife, of full of argument, full of disagreement. We're going to have wars, rumors of wars. We're going to have all these things with the internet or not. The internet might speed those things up, but human nature remains relatively intact and the same as it's been described thousands of years ago. So for me, I get to just kind of sit back and say, well, I'm not actually that surprised. So it does help me cope, I guess. So through your faith, you've essentially accepted the reality because it's already been depicted in the holy book and thus what we see isn't that much of a of a departure of what you've read upon so it's almost like a i don't want to say a comforting thought i would say but rather reinforcing how about a, that? an enlightening one that, like if you wanted to truly surprise me like if you truly enough. wanted to shake my belief system you would have to show me a world that is going toward more cooperation, more peace. That's, you know, not communicating in such hyperbole. That's not so quick to jump to arguments. That's not so fast to, you know, some of the things we've been talking about, but as it stands right. 
the idealized humanist version. Yeah, if it came to pass, I'd be shocked. What but it has society so should be. You I mean? <laughs> I think that's actually notable because the from a lot of people that I've come to know over the years, they have this self-grandizing idea that humanity is inherently good and that we can be capable of you know writing the uh, writing the wrongs of of our past mistakes and essentially unite the world to be a better place now i will not tell you that that is an impossible goal but i will say that it's a very foolhardy one to consider that humanity in its core is inherently good because we've seen from throughout history, while we have done some good, there is overwhelming violence and hatred and greed that has spilled the blood of countless innocents over the millennia. And I think that's just very difficult to believe that I think it's very I think the evidence speaks for itself that there's no possible way that we can be inherently good when we have to be raised from being, well, essentially terrible little toddlers into, you know, moral model yeah, citizens you'll, you'll of society. A lot of and I think about that, that just idea. goes people without do saying want to think that people are inherently good. One common counterpoint you'll hear is people say, well, what about when there's a fire and people run into the building to save others? Aren't they being altruistic? Aren't they being good? And to that, I'd say, yeah, I think the individual is certainly capable of good acts. But I think they had to come to that conviction from somewhere. I don't think the masses out there, the, the I mean, I... I said something the other day. You think about just the millions and millions of random anonymous people out there just driving angry and throwing garbage out their windows. And I don't know. I don't want to sound too cynical about people because I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to think highly of them. And that's kind of the challenge of my faith is knowing I know you're awful, but I love you. <laughs> that's the, that's the way. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be in a brutal sense of, if you want to be br brutal about it, I think that's just about <laughs> yeah. right. Hey, I don't like what you're doing. Amen. But just know that I do care about you. I wanted to. Uh, you worry. I wanted to um, bring that statement of altruism to you. There are many who would state that altruism as a concept is inconceivable by mortal by mortal standards because. It's impossible to do something that is so completely outside of you and outside of the satisfaction of uh, the very satisfaction of doing it, that altruism cannot exist in and of itself outside of stories and the Bible and other religious scriptures. And to a point, it's hard for me to disagree with that, because even if you do something nice for somebody and there's no reward for it specifically, the very satisfaction of doing it. And doing something nice for someone is a reward in and of itself. So the very inherent belief of altruism dies in the face of that very minute, but very 
very yeah, and, you know but we can get into things. a long philosophical conversation but i think it comes down to the fact that even if you choose to do that you are still the one making that choice so there had to be a self-based reasoning why you made the choice i believe the i believe it's merely just the the statement of people wanting to go well they're just doing it just they're just doing it for x y and z the, the, because they're in the in a skeptical belief structure, the concept is is that everything must right. have a reason or a you know a set of facts attached to it. Whereas when when somebody does something outside of themselves to to whatever degree that they do so, it's very hard for anybody to contemporize a belief that somebody <laughs> is capable of not being selfish to any any particular degree. One of the major questions that I, I have for you, and it's something that I've, I've conversed on the podcast before and wanted to bring it, I wanted to give it to you as a question amongst other things. Now, I, I've stated it before, and you might have seen me post it on Twitter before. Conflict is the epicenter for all of the progression and innovation that we have as a global society. Do you, at least by the by the evidence shown, do you believe that is something that we can one day circumvent, or will we always need that level of friction and stressor to be able to keep propelling us forward, technologically, societally? Let's talk about this idea of innovation and propelling forward. Forward toward what? Can you, before I answer, can you elaborate on? what the goal is what if conflict is leading to innovation and a forward movement what is it toward what makes it forward now that is a fun question i don't think anybody's ever actually asked me that um if you're going by the generic viewpoint of things and i will leave it at that i'm sure we could get more specific it would be personal betterment of of society as a whole Food supply, availability of technology for communities, uh, upward mobility, your general creature comforts, and uh, tools that we use to move around the reality that we have, that, that we're presented. As far as society is concerned, furthering humanistic viewpoint and social, uh, social programs, uh, uh, creating uh, different activities and clubs in various communities that might require them, your general upkeep and well-being of your of any given community. Sure. If that's general generic enough. For Personally, I think that's before you answer. Personally, I th- even with all those um, metrics that you've added, or at least that you've evaluated. I think that's still a bit too vague to properly answer that question because I feel that there's far too many variables to really consider what it is to move forward and to progress because as 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 time passes our feelings and ideas and thoughts on what is progressive changes right but- 
We don't quite maintain the same ideas like we have before, even with those general general right, standards. But I think if you go by the core of what progression ends up being, you merely have to look at the basic survival structures that we've set forth since time immemorial. You don't even have to, you know, attach all the accoutrement that I had to the to the statement of roof over your head, we, uh, upward mobility, food in your stomach, and 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 uh, medical care can be those can be the generic if you really want it to if that's a much more defined demographic for you Orlando. I mean, I mean that's fair. The reason I say it is because if if you and again this is my history buff going here. If we go back, let's say five thousand years. The idea of what it means to be progressed to, to progression would be the uh, the the preservation of the legacy of the society you uphold, and we can see that in ex- we can see that in examples such as in ancient Egypt, where the idea of building giant pyramids to immortalize yourself was in many ways what progress was and it was something that continued on for thousands of years i mean if you're looking at it as a preserve from a preservation standpoint then that would be more of a, a conservation would it not but that was perhaps but it's just all i'm all i'm saying is that the idea of progress and the idea of what it means to be a more fa- a better society in in its whole changes over time and it's never really been consistent enough for for people to just simply agree upon a general consensus of what of what it is so we can make the we can try and put our own personal opinions on what makes the uh, what would make a better society, but it is often the changing of the times as we gather as as you know we move forward. Where ideas and what we say today may not necessarily be what's considered progress or a better society 100 years from now, 200 years from now, or even 500 years from now. I think it doesn't always endure. Hard to argue with you in that regard. Go, go ahead, Eric. That's, We've been that's kicking okay. the I'm just going to go ahead and throw the ball through the a ball window. I think now. a fun <laughs> question to ask is, what's the point? You've brought up... you've, Yeah... Like you've brought up a couple times this idea of comfort, that's what I, right? Creature that comforts. That was basically what I was trying to go with. To have a more comfortable light, lifestyle. Uh, there's there's lots of fun examples here. Uh, I think one would be if you've seen the Pixar movie Wall-E about the robots. And in that film, they kind of portray this utopian human society where yes. this entire human population exists within this artificially constructed environment that is perfect for their survival, for their pleasure, for their comfort. Um, They don't even walk on their feet anymore. Every human being is on this hovercraft that goes around. 
And if they want something to drink, they can ask for it. They can press a button. They can speak it, and it will arrive. But after decades of doing that, the most comfortable person at some point kind of says, "What? why are we doing this? What is the point of this? I, I think when you talk about forward progress or progress towards something, as a Christian, there's this idea, and it's going to sound trite, and I know it does. I know it sounds trite and cheesy, but there's a saying that if you if you feed the hungry but don't give them the gospel, all you've done is send them to hell with a full belly. And I don't want to sound like a fundamentalist, but I think when you step back and measure progress or the point of human civilization— I think it's hard for me to be neutral in my assessment of what that would mean. I think even in the Bible, the very first few chapters, there's the story of the Garden of Eden, right? So Adam and Eve, they live in this garden, and it's perfect. Their life is perfectly comfortable. They have everything they could ever want, need, or dream of. But this figure comes along and says, didn't God give you that, that one rule that you're not allowed to eat this one fruit? Like, you don't have maximum freedom. Shouldn't you be able to grasp at that? And they decide, you know what? Yeah, freedom is what I want. And so they take that choice and end up with a lot of consequences. And I find it very poetic and reinforcing, as I did before, that even now, especially in American society, you see people equating maximum freedom with maximum morality. And they think, well, if I have my freedom, I'm at the best place I can be. And I think while their confidence may be absolute in that, from my perspective, I think they are incurring more consequences than they might realize. I'm not, I'm not even sure I answered your question. But like I, I said, I threw the ball out. I thought of it that way. No, you actually did, but in in moreover, you you've affirmed my statement, but your statement more was a general friction scenario as opposed to the concept of the general I over think... the, the nebulous looming conflict. It's more of the you need the friction to be able to propel yourself forward to do those things, as opposed right. to endless conflict of war, strife, terror, murder, etc. Yours is. If everything's presented to you on a silver platter, you're never going to go outside of yeah, your I, own I, bubble I don't to try and know get, if become the center greater than you are. View, but I would even say that conflict is inevitable. So progress is instead measured by what you do with it. Very nice. I, I, I appreciate that viewpoint. It's kind of like marriage, right? <clears throat> if you never have an argument, then only one of you is doing the thinking. Yep. Actually, that's probably barely related, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. <laughs> I mean, you're. I mean, only two of you here are married, so I can't even. <laughs> I can't even uh, no, have my input on that. Your perspective on this is not limited because you do not have matrimony in your life, and I, I, I don't think Eric or it's or myself would ever hold that against you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Perspective usually is. Now, I wanted to go back and circle back to something that you had t brought up before. And it's the 
it, it's the, the the thought trap that you say that you fall into a lot, which is the question that's always presented to you is that if there's no proof of God, how do you believe in it? And I actually have an answer to that. And I never thought I would actually find it, but I got to th- thank Matt Groening for that <laughs> one specifically. I'm going to go a little nerdy on it and go to Futurama. One of the thing, one of the statements made in in that one episode where, where Bender becomes God for a bit was God. God ended up saying the one thing that makes the most sense. Hmm. If you do your job correctly, they'll never know you did anything at all. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's an interesting perspective too, because the viewpoint is is why do you need fl- why do you need a flagrant overarching beam of light that lands on something and you know if the hand of god comes down what what com- why why as a as a faithful individual would you require such overt acts for you to have your for your faith to be solidified if you believe something because you got up this morning and you got to watch a, a flower blossom in and of that, those are the things that you specifically would find value towards your, your deity of choice. So that makes things much more digestible for, for the faithful in that perspective. And, I, and it's something that I always, I always found heartening when it comes to having these conversations with faithful people. Because it's just like, well, why don't they need, well, why don't they need the things that, you know, their Bible talks about God doing all these huge things, the deluge you know, plagues, yeah. frogs, etc. It's like because they he already did it. I don't know. I, I mean, when you've already, did, I would say God's an eclectic individual by that metric, at least as far as a deity is concerned. You never want to go and do the sure. same thing and over and over again. People will accuse you of being bland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually, I will speak uh, to a couple things that this planet that, is related ideas. Bland. Um, there's a there's a fun thought experiment. Uh, let's say that humankind looks out the window one day, and in the sky at night, the stars are aligned in such a way that they now clearly say in English, in a constellation, the full sentence, Jesus is real. The question is, how long would it take before a secular skeptical viewpoint was offered as an explanation for this phenomenon and accepted. How long would people grow so bored and so commonplace of that unusual event that it no longer seemed extraordinary? How long would it take before the stars moved out of alignment and future generations never even believed they were once in those positions? And then you start to think about that and realize, well, have we already encountered those kind of events in our human civilization? Or even in your life, how many divine events do you have? I, personally, you know, do I see miracles every day? The kind of things that even a skeptic would have to reckon with as maybe being proof of a divine being? No, I don't. But have I encountered a few events that I definitely don't have a rational explanation for? And I take comfort in maybe knowing the source of those events? Yes, I've had a few of those. Um, But also, you can come at it from another way. You talked about, like, if you do your job, they never notice kind of a thing, or that that preemptive God already did it. Um, In the Protestant tradition, like, you know, there's Catholicism and there's the 
the other way of going. Um, we have this idea in Latin called sola scriptura, or scripture alone. And it's, it's this idea that even in Christian circles, we ask each other, why don't you hear from God? Why don't we hear from God anymore? And the answer that many people adhere to, and I personally embrace about 90%, but I'm just going to give it for the sake of discussion tonight. The idea is because God already said everything he needed to, the message is there. That's why false preachers can so easily be labeled false teachers. The televangelists that say they have a new message from God. No, they don't. God already said what he needed to say. The message is intact. It's true. It's good. It doesn't need to change. It needs nothing added to it. Um, but the one other thing I'll say is I, I hesitate because I can't think of the specifics. But if you actually do your research, there's really interesting cases out there, like entire scientific papers written on ideas like proximal prayer, where the most neutral observers possible have looked at cases where people have been healed. That's just one very specific example of a possible proof. And they come away with, well, okay, this person had a medical condition, has a paper trail history of doctors and medical professionals treating it. And then they went to a religious service they were prayed over and now they no longer have this medical condition and medical professionals have attested to this. And it's things as extreme as like, well, this person couldn't digest food. They were fed on a feeding tube since they were a child. They went to a religious service, they were healed and now they eat fine. What is that? So, like I said, there's a lot of ways you can go with that discussion, but I, I feel okay with where I am. Glad to hear it. I can't, I can't personally, or I should say, I don't have like any, you know, outside examples. I can only reflect upon my own personal experience. Uh, I'll go ahead and discuss this one. Uh, so when I was 18, I worked for a parcel company in the town I lived nearby. And for a year, I, or just about a year, I was working and riding my bike back and forth um, in route, as my route to, to and from work. One particular day, I was on my way home. It was around seven in the morning because that's when I usually get off. My brother would call me and he would ask if I could pick up his paycheck for him because he worked there as well. He just wasn't working there that particular day. And I hesitated, wasn't really interested in doing so because I was already halfway home. He ended up convincing me. So I turned back, I grabbed the paycheck and I'm writing for another half mile back home. However, this time around, I didn't get past the first street crossing because as I tried to cross it, a truck going 60 miles an hour over a bridge crashes right into me. I was completely conscious the entire time. <laughs> I should have been killed. 
In fact, the doctors kept insisting that I should have been killed. That I, there was no possible way I could have survived. And yet I did. And the worst injury I had to I, I had suffered besides from a bloody I'm face and a scar here. that I would wear on for years was a broken nose and some bruises. That was at least a first major instance in my life that I knew that I was being watched over because there was no way that I should have survived. And yet here I am over a decade later, still kicking. (laughs) Whatever reasons he may have for me to be here. (laughs) <laughs> he's not letting me go just yet kicking and screaming that's how, that's how that goes <laughs> fair enough well I think we've come to a, a nice bridge point here where we can definitely round things out and do a decent summary here I think overall I've never personally been averse to religious belief and faith overall and its intrinsic value in society. And I do not begrudge any individual for whatever belief that they have, as long as it's benign in the context of society as a whole. And I don't think anybody short of a, you know, a, 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 a zealot of a, a particular stripe is going to disagree with that, that, that structure as it is. I think there's, as far as your statement on the concept of faith healing, I think that there is a inherent value to it. I think that has more to do with the overall malleability of reality as it is. I don't know how powerful that is in context of everyday life, but in the instances that you presented, it's very much a hard and fast case for the the, the 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 bending power sure. of faith as it is televangelism notwithstanding obviously <laughs> but you've already made your statement about organized religion in that regard so it'd be very very difficult to, to cross-reference that when you've already made your point <laughs> faith is a weird thing sometimes and some people can be taken by the wolf as much by the lamb in that regard so i don't argue with it in short, faith though is they, not a, that of reason. Coexist in that bubble, but that. Um, I think there are people uh, who place I mean, their faith in reason. I, I, I can see I your point. I don't quite where I agree, have reason but fair enough for my faith. Lovely, <laughs> beautifully said. <sighs> but like, like you've presented to us, you're a very practical individual when it comes to things. So you do use reason to sculpt the way your faith functions in your life. So you have found that duality within that. Thank you. In the way that you've constructed your path. I like it. So kudos to you in that regard. (laughs) True. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Well, it's it's your own path. I would hope you liked it. If you didn't, you'd change it. I think that's one of the fears that many people have is it's just Mm -hmm. they don't feel in control of their own path in life. And that ends up creating the, 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 the instability that we see in a lot of individuals, whether it's by, by lack of religion or lack of just straight guidance as a whole, 
there it's it, it, it does create a, a a deterioration in in that fabric so for whatever for what to whatever level of yeah, detriment I, I that would, is it's I would love everyone faith. to share my faith but hey they have the freedom to reject it but you know what they can share with you human existence and human proclivity I want to thank you, Eric, for being with us. If you want to give your Twitter handle or anything, you feel free to do so. Otherwise, uh, thank you very much for your perspective at the bar, and I absolutely appreciate you. Sure, having thanks for having me for a, an opportunity to pull up your favorite time. stool with us. Um, I will share my Twitter account. It's one of those awkward things where I use my first name, middle initial, last name. So I'm going to go through the awkward steps of trying to spell it out. My name is Eric. V as in Victor Bailey. So it's E-R-I-C-V, B as in boy, A-I-L-E-Y. That's me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. We hope you tune in next time for a brand new topic, a brand new taste for your intellectual pleasure cool all right so you can find our podcast on the anchor app itself if you have it um the anchor app also publishes to apple podcast spotify google podcast overcast breaker Castbox, and a few choice others um if any of those platforms are defunct obviously ignore them but the major ones are spotify Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. You can contact us individually if you wish. Um, I am at Punk Toast. I'm sorry. I am Punk Toast on Twitter. There's no at there. Um, You can also contact me via Instagram, also at Punk Toast. Go ahead, uh, Harma. What's your what's your shtick? You could find me as the Ragnarok Knight on Twitter as well. It has been a pleasure discussing with you tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all. And uh, this has been Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Please join us next time at the bar where we will serenade you with more rants and insanity as we often do. Keep your wits about you and have your booze ready. Cast off, friends.